thank you all for coming. This is the next to the last lecture in our regular series of Friends of the Book Arts Press Lectures at the School of Library Service. The last lecture of the season is next Monday, April 11th. The speaker is John Jenkins of the Jenkins Company in Austin, Texas. His title, The Farmer and the Cowboy Should Be Friends, What Rare Book Librarians Should Know About the Antiquarian Book Trade. This promises to be a stimulating occasion. Those of you who are regulars here know that we are putting together for the first time a series of summer lectures to accompany the Rare Book School, which begins in Columbia on the 11th of July. If it is possible that anybody has escaped my mailing list in this room, and I think that very unlikely, uh, there are many copies of the Rare Book School brochure in the back of the room. Please take several. But Edwin Wolfe has agreed to speak during the week of July 11th, and other speakers to follow him include William Scheide and Phyllis Gordon on collecting 15th and 16th century books to correspond with the courses on these subjects, Wilman Spawn on American book bindings, Miss Ponser, Catherine Ponser from Harvard, and also Eleanor Garvey from Harvard to talk on book illustration and on the revision of the short title catalog, and uh, there should be other good talks as well during this period, which promises to be very stimulating. Nor more, no more so, however, than tonight, when our speaker is Alexander Wilson, the last remaining staff member of the British Library, not to have spoken here. <laughs> and it is, I'm sure we all agree, high time that we remedied that. It's a great pleasure to welcome him here tonight to talk on the crisis in rare books library management. Mr. Alexander Wilson, Director General, British Library Reference Division. Sir. And the 4,200 and something lecture from the lecturer from the British Library, I gather, overpeered the bottom of the barrel. As, as, uh, as um, most of you will know, the main uh, purpose in these lectures is to provide the uh, printing office down the hall with a suitable theme for a poster. <laughs> and uh, the title of my talk, someone who shall be remain nameless, said to me, uh, is that Terry's title or your title? I said, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but uh, certainly I was easily manipulated because there is a crisis in rare book management in the institution where I work. But uh, I must admit, as I started to write the paper, I began to wonder, was there really a crisis at all? There's a crisis of indifference, perhaps, in the wider world. But anyway, that's my theme, and I'll... Here to it. I have, a, I have a copy of the paper, Terry, in case I venture too far or skip too many pages, but I'll try to adhere to it. Economic recession in all Western countries is forcing priorities upon institutions holding rare book collections in which the latter have not always fared well, and this at a time when changes in the worlds of bibliography and librarianship are offering up new challenges and opportunities to this somewhat specialized sector of the book world. It has been said that the international community of rare book librarians is in some disarray due in part to the changing emphasis in UNESCO and hence in IFLA from the concerns of the developed nations to those of the third world. The growing cost of attending international conferences is another but perhaps lesser factor. The third world factor accounts for a change of concern from early books and the heritage of that kind to another concept of the cultural heritage, a term which is more relevant to the literature of newly independent nations. But is crisis too strong a word? Librarians in general practice 
dodging between the horns of economic recession and new technology may be unkind enough to think that it would do no harm for a cruel wind to whistle round the cloisters of rare books. I must confess that I have a very local sense of crisis in my own institution, which is uniquely blessed with large collections of early books and of modern publications, making it a microcosm of the wider scene, since I believe that there are elements of crisis in that general situation. There is a crisis of indifference to rare books, an organizational crisis in rare books, a crisis of conservation, and the all-pervading repercussions of a sickly economy. It may seem strange to speak here in Colombia about a crisis of indifference to rare books, when no library school in the world, so far as I know, does more to educate future librarians in their care, value, and utility. But a study by McCrank on education for rare book librarianship, which you'll know very well, leads one to believe that Colombia is raising her lantern high above a very dark scene. Surveying the state of rare book librarianship in the United States Library Education in 1980, McCrank recorded that an all, I quote, an all-pervasive problem is the mutually hostile and, I think he means, suspicious attitudes between bookmen and bibliographers on the one hand and on the other, librarians in general and information specialists in particular. And he goes on to make all kinds of very um, chastening remarks about library school graduates being semi-literate in terms of the book as a physical, aesthetic object and so on. He fears that rare book collections uh, fall into uh, one half of a dichotomy which shuts them off from librarianship and information science and that kind of thing and shuts them into museology rather than the information society. In the United Kingdom, I would guess the position is much the same. So far as I know, we have only one rare books course at Loughborough being taught in any of our schools of librarianship, and that is an optional module of the first degree. I've got this far without trying to define rare books for our present purpose. We may take as a working definition, publica I suggest, publications printed before 1800 to 1850, before the machine-made book, and those later publications which have historical or aesthetic significance as artifacts, livre d'artiste, modern fine printing, binding, and other book arts. At the margin of my definition lie the manuscript books. Any significant collections of modern material, special collections, which are often lumped together with early books, in North America in particular, would of course share some of the problems, but I exclude them from consideration here. <coughs> The organizational crisis, as distinct from the crisis of indifference, results from our need to reform in order to meet the rise of enumerative bibliography, whose exponents require access to the maximum number of copies. As Pollard put it, quote, What then is the business of the bibliographer, primarily and essentially, I should say, the enumeration of books? This is the lowly task of finding out what books exist and thereby helping to secure their preservation and furnishing the specialist with information as to the extent of the subject matter with which he has to deal. When the bibliographer, he says, has brought books to light and printed lists of them, I submit he has done a great part of what can reasonably be, be expected of him. Now, this is very curious and very interesting because he's talking about bibliographers. And I suggest that those of us involved in the librarianship or the administration of collections of rare books are precisely in that business today. So one of the converging things, which I think is fortunate, is that the bibliographer and the library cataloger, who are drifting farther and farther apart, are now converging again through the power of the computer and through economic force. 
The other related pressure on the Rare Books organization is from the International Architects of Universal Bibliographic Control, UBC, who are beginning to turn towards the encouragement of retrospective national bibliographies. And these two requirements of enumerative bibliography and of the UBC enthusiasts may be satisfied together through the computer, which provides the flexibility lacking in library cataloging standards formerly confined to the Procrustean dimensions of the catalogue card. Robin Alston discussed this problem at a symposium held in this city of New York two years ago, and the bibliotechnological method developed for ESTC is being adopted more and more widely in retrospective cataloging of early material. I don't want to say much, ladies and gentlemen, about deaccessioning because it seems to be a thorny question on this side of the Atlantic, but really not a serious problem in the United Kingdom. Um, I, I, I would say, and this is purely a personal view, that London is an open market, and although we do not always succeed in mopping up private sales from public funds, so long as the exports flow to libraries where they can be cared for and used by scholars, I say, what is the issue in London? Admittedly, we had a cause célèbre a year or two ago when a most important 14th century Persian manuscript, the Rashid al-Din, which had been on loan to the British Museum Library and then the British Library for the best part of a century, had to be sold by the owning learned society. It fetched a record price for any manuscript hitherto, and our best efforts by public appeal, and that was the organisational crisis, whether to go for it, although raising promises of more than £500,000 were nowhere near enough to secure it. It's remarkable how much remains in private hands, even rare manuscript material, as I was able to see recently in attending the opening of a National Museum of Islamic Art in Kuwait, the noble patron of that institution had assembled 21,000 objects of the finest quality of Islamic art on the open market in eight years. So it's there if there is the money. The crisis of conservation has been much gone over in the United States and Canada and is mostly concerned here with the millions of brittle books of modern date, which is not anywhere so, so serious a problem in Europe with our later uh, uh, addiction to central heating and our ability to sustain colder and damper conditions, I suspect. But perhaps the British Library has four million books decayed in this way, not an inconsiderable problem. Uh, but the problem I really want to draw to your attention is that of our 850,000 volumes published pre-1850, perhaps a quarter of a million are in urgent need of some form of conservation treatment. At an estimated cost of 24 to 30 million pounds sterling, or putting it in a way that matters more to me, between 20 and 30 years output of our conservation binary, which has about 124 employees. Obviously, my viewpoint is that of an administrator with a British perspective. The environment of rare book collections seem to vary very much between North America and Europe and therefore require different solutions. I shall have more to say about UK solutions than I would dare to have about those in North America. In Britain, it's not the case that rare book collections are assembled together in a library, often from private benefaction under certain restrictions and so on. Many rare book collections belong in a quite natural way to great libraries, still in the fullness of their strength. 
but there are also many significant collections in cathedrals and other ecclesiastical foundations, in institutions whose functions may have changed over time, such as subscription libraries, mechanics institutes, learned societies, and in private collections in our great country houses. Our public libraries have often inherited responsibility for small fossilized parochial and other libraries, which brings them into the rare books concern. To quantify this a little, I understand there are more than 250 significant rare book libraries in London alone. So the American situation may be one where an elitist approach is forced upon keepers of rare book collections by the circumstances of the collection's creation, together with an isolation from the research environment. They are libraries, but they are de facto isolated often. Whereas in Britain, collections are widely dispersed and often in places of a non-academic nature. In Britain, there are some very large collections in major libraries, none more so than in the reference division, the former British Museum Library Departments, uh, where, as I say, we have these 850,000 pre-1800 publications in the Department of Printed Books alone. And they are absolutely intermingled with the 8.5 million modern books in that department. And that's a crisis of management, if you like. It derives not from ignorance, but from, I've, I've, I've waited six pages to mention the name, the Panitian principle of universality and that all books are of research value and must be treated equally. These have determined a physical arrangement of the collections in our Bloomsbury complex in such a way as to remove the possibility of dividing it into a rare book library and a modern book library, as is more or less the rule in all the great research libraries elsewhere. It is splendid to record that we continue to pursue Panitzi's doctrine of availability but our pioneer efforts at UBC, by publishing the general catalogue and all our special catalogues, and UAP, letting them all at them. You should go in the North Library, many may have you been. There may be 200 people working away there, some of the rarest books in the world, and then go in and the typical rare book library. Have resulted in an overuse of our rare book collections, which has caused in the enormous arrears of conservation already mentioned. Other major rare book collections in the United Kingdom will either belong to modern research libraries with similar problems, i.e. they're absolutely overburdened with a recession, with public service, with all kinds of problems as well as conserving rare books, or to institutions with very little money to spare for the maintenance of the library at all. Is this where technology rides into the rescue? Certainly the computer promises to bring the bibliographer and the library cataloger closer together, as I've said. Members of this audience will be aware of the ESTC, which was demonstrated in this city this afternoon, and may also be aware of experiments going on at the British Library towards ISTC, an incunabular census, a sort of machine-readable Gough census for the United Kingdom at present, but with the potential for international cooperation. The beauty of the ISTC system in this proto-project, that means I haven't approved it yet, they want stuff, right? <laughs> is that entries can be regarded as tentative. References can be given to critical articles. And in fact, it's a sort of workbook as much as a census. This fulfills a condition mentioned by Alston that such a scholarly catalogue should be usable even when it is in the building. That is, not in a building, but in the creation. 
And uh, it's an interesting thing that we were discussing just today in the United States CSTC committee that by now we should just about be completing building the British Library's base file of ESTC records. In fact, thanks to Dr. Henry Snyder here and other people as well, uh, the thing's up online and scholars are already using it while it's in the building. The second aspect of technology which has been of great value to us on the rare books field is that of microform publication, at once bringing a valuable income to the institution holding the originals and providing for substitution or collection building across the world. So the ESTC, for example, is already, before the first base files completed, being shadowed by the first uh, issues of the whole text version entitled The 18th Century although the filming project will take 15 years to complete, much the largest microform um, project ever. So we see that the computer creates the demand for the text and the microform, maybe later the data disk, a lot later, gives you the ability to have the distributed library in the sky. And so the rare book world may be one of the first to be into the, the distributed library in the sky, which amuses me. <laughs> maybe you feel you've always been there in the eyes of your colleagues maybe you're coming down into the stratosphere or something the Vatican Conference of 1976 foresaw that improved bibliographical control would lead inevitably to overuse of rare books unless microform substitutes were provided but my lending division colleague Dr. Morris Lyon as is proper to his function and off the record typical of his in nature, you know, he loves to be controversial, declines to consider that rare books themselves should never be loaned. As he sensibly points out, not all old books are rare and vice versa. No less than 4,030 items published pre-1800 were requested from the BL Lending Division in 1981-82. A small fraction of the requests that would be received, he says, if scholars had the anticipation of success. Dr. Lyon, <laughs> Dr. Lyon goes on. It would not occur to some scholars to use the normal interlibrary lending facilities to ask for a copy of an historical or literary work of the 17th or 18th century, even perhaps of the 19th century. Nor would they ask for a book known to be of rarity or great value. Uh, that's the end of the quote, and I put here, some of us might echo, thank goodness. <laughs> in this article, he makes, it's in the Interlending Review recently, he makes a number of important generalizations. In some countries, old, rare, and precious works are very widely scattered. Many older books are in fragile condition. Some items, although of no great intrinsic value, here's an important point, may be very rare or unique, and that's a justification for special collections. Although whether this is so is often hard to establish. There are, nobody knows what's rare. You know what? You might know what's rare in a traditional sense, but you don't know what's rare in a total sense. There are frequently conditions of gift or regulations of a particular library which prohibit loan even when items are neither particularly precious or rare. A final point in his article that will cause a twinge for many of us and for the books is that many older works have bindings that are so tight that photocopying on ordinary machines is very difficult, if not impossible. In fact, it's forbidden in the BL reference division and I've brought with me, in case anyone's interested later on, some details of two machines we're developing for being able to take photocopies of books by holding them like that under a reading head on a stand. The first machine produces straightforward electrostatic copies alongside the, the device. The second one captures the information digitally. So you can either reproduce it here, 
or in San Francisco or put it in the computer or put it on an optical data disk or turn it back into a book again, do what you like with it. Now, we're very interested in this. We think this is going to be very important. I quote Dr. Lyon's article because it is healthy to question the protective attitudes which most of us feel we have to apply to rare books. But far from indicating that we should ease up, I'm convinced that scholars must brace themselves for much greater substitution of originals by microform or readable copies. The extreme example known to me, and it won't be surprising, is in France. It's the Réserve at the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, where rare books, admittedly they're largely 19th century sufferers from acid paper, are being removed from service, conserved, deacified page by page, and stored in a remote chateau, the users having to make do with microfiche copies. I asked um, how often the originals could be brought back. Yes, they could be brought back. How many came back today? None. How many came back this week? None. Can you remember one coming back? None. <laughs> so it's very French. And I found out afterwards they have something, and I mean, I think they're taking, a, in a way, a right attitude, but it's tough, you know, and they call this le fichier de dissuasion. You like that? The f every librarian should have one. Le fichier de dissuasion. Anyway, but I must admit that if we put restraints on conventional photocopying, it, exposes extra, it imposes extra delays and heavy extra costs on the user or on the library if you're generous enough to bear them. In our case, we microfilm it and then produce a print from the microfilm. And up to now, the readers have been having to pay the whole cost of that, but we're thinking of making it part of our conservation bill. I've mentioned these two machines. We've heard much of the enemies of books, and I've got a page or two here of jolly stories about the bibliographers themselves. And it's not, uh, it's not just facetious that the growth, again, the move back from textual to physical, if I can put it as crudely as that, bibliography, is in itself one of the causes of accelerated damage. It's the lovers of mountains and forests who destroy them, not the people who stay in the city. And there's no doubt at all, it is said, again, I don't know if this awful thing's working, Terry, recording every word, but I understand, and it's purely hearsay, and I'm not liable, the great Pollard himself occasionally wet his finger. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anyone, will you? But it's still passed on in the North Library. Pollard used to wet his finger. And it's also passed on that the superintendent, who was a very tough guy, said to him, Sir, is the book on which you are spitting your own property or that of the museum? <laughs> but it's all hearsay and you're not to believe. So we need educational programs. Think about that when you see that tome in... So we need educational programs and campaigns amongst users just as much as amongst staff. And I came with a lot of jolly posters that wouldn't have passed Terry's test, but they're aimed at our library assistants, our pages. And they're things like, we may be into leather, but we're not tough. <laughs> some of us are very old. Please take care of us, you know. So I had the chance, of, the first library where I produced these, they were taken from me, and I was going to bring them all over the place and show them to everybody, but they were seized upon, they've disappeared, so if you'd like to see them. So, it's not just the users, it's the people responsible for the storage and delivery of books, and those in the reprographic department particularly. Nor would I exclude the general run of librarians 
or craft binders or virtually anyone who has the ability see private eye for a recent reference in Britain or for, for the ability to affect the life and integrity of a rare book not the least of these worthies are plumbers heating and ventilating engineers and building superintendents the efficiency of our library has been reduced by the conservation people banning mechanical devices for conveying books and imposing all kinds of restrictions on the microenvironment in which they may be kept. Turning away from our own problems into some general guidelines for action, first in the United Kingdom and perhaps in other European countries. I've said the big problem is the scatter of rare book collections among non-academic institutions, and there are clear alternatives, either to try to strengthen the libraries of learned societies in the like by matching grants and allying them with local universities or other research libraries, or one could press by fiscal or other means to transfer their collections virtually to sequestrate them one way or another uh, from institutions unable or unwilling to support them into major rare book collections. Um, I understand there are quite good historical instances of this happening in Bavaria and not very happy. If you take the books en masse, take away a collection that is an entity and put it in a great library and then it joins the queue of stuff to be catalogued and eventually it just gets scattered among... Maybe it would be better back in the Schloss. I don't know. You know, archaeologists sometimes have the sense to put things back in the ground. Anyway... Um, the economic recession does force the diaspora of rare books to an extent in Britain, and the National Library of Scotland and the India Office Library and Records, now part of the reference division, have been, for example, benefited in this way. And so have libraries in the United States by importation. You wouldn't have a rare books trade, I suppose, if it hadn't happened. And who's to say it's wrong? We share the language. Now. It's unthinkable to my mind there should be any forced sequestration of libraries in your country or mine, and it would be disastrous unless they could be kept intact. It loses the idea of the formed. The whole point of a few rare books in a parochial library is not the rare books, it's the formed, it's the library that's the interest. But I must admit that if you do this, and we've often in the British Library helped to conserve and catalogue, which does make some access, these collections, which then remain locked up in a church or somewhere, rarely visited, and it does make you, you wonder, you see. We are putting some back into the ground. We spend about 300,000 sterling uh, per annum, mainly for the conservation and cataloging of early books, insist on adequate standards and input to union catalogues, and gradually a move towards coordination. Uh, for example, at Burlington House, where there are a number of learned societies and bodies, we have a an excellent little conservation laboratory set up for one particular purpose. We've decided to continue to subvent it and, as it were, to issue ration cards to societies to go to use that instead of giving them money to go and spend it all over the place. And that may be the way we're going to move. Also, there's a welcome tendency for large cathedral libraries and universities to tie up and for uh, a coordinated approach, for instance, to all the cathedral library catalogues. National and international STCs and registers are excellent examples of Anglo-American cooperation. It's very encouraging indeed to see the enormous support that research libraries in the United States and Canada have given to ESTC at a time when staff numbers are under pressure. The screening of general library discards for rare books, this may seem unthinkable to you, but in the old countries of Europe, you know, rare books might turn up in the, in the trash can of, of discards. 
and it's another desirable mechanism. In our case, the lending division run a gifts and exchange scheme, and they have picked up very, some very strange things there. About one book in two of what is offered is kept for their stock, but I don't imagine many of them are rare books. An international seminar on libraries and publishing, this is library publishing, will be held at the British Library next week, to which a number of American research libraries are sending representatives. We were astonished, really. There had never before been a gathering of the people who managerially and policy point of view are responsible for the publishing program of great libraries such as Columbia. And, and we were delighted when so many institutions, it's a pay-as-you-go affair, chose to send someone to London for this conference. And among the topics to be discussed is microform publication. Maybe we can do things together sometimes instead of just licensing commercial firms. But the most important need in British librarianship is not just about rare books, it's to raise conscious, consciousness among the profession about conservation and preservation generally. In the United States, as I say, I'm treading very gently from ignorance, but I do hope that the efforts of the Research Libraries Group and the Association of Research Libraries, their various conspectors and other programs, will help to reduce that isolation of rare book collections and librarians which McCrank claimed to identify. It might help if general library administrators were aware of the extent of cross-use of books of varying periods by scholars. We recently made a study of some half million book applications, consecutive ones, in our main reading room uh, uh, in one year, and 61% of the users, mind you, there are a very um, rarefied bunch of users, but 61% of them were consulting books whose dates ranged over 100 years, that's most of them were using books over 100 years, and 14% more than 350 years. Whilst the use of the early books, about 10% of our printed books collections, represented no less than 23% of demands. Finally, I am optimistic that awareness and concern amongst scholars, librarians, and library governors is growing, that foundations are sympathetic, and if we can ally the concept of rare books to the heritage theme, then we may have a strong political plank. Ian Willison, another colleague of mine, he was probably number two of the 4,000, <laughs> has pointed the way ahead by saying, and I quote, if I were to describe the main characteristic of international rare book librarianship viewed in all its aspects, that sounds terribly forbidding, it would be in terms of the extroversion of its concerns to include not only the interests of the general library administrator, but also those of its main constituency, the world of learning. Well, that's Ian. And this is me. <laughs> Behind every crisis, I believe, lies an opportunity. It may or may not be an old Chinese saying, but it's absolutely true. Every crisis is about an opportunity. Rare book librarianship is one small sector of the profession and needs to argue its case around the table with many others. Straddling as it does the fields of librarianship and scholarship, it, has the, it should anyway, perhaps I should say as it should, as it does, the fields of librarianship and scholarship, it has the chance to involve influential allies in arguing its case. Thank you. <laughs>